Welcome to Blackhawks Insider, the official podcast of the Chicago Blackhawks, presented by ChevyDrivesChicago.com. Drive what Kane and Taves drive. On this week's episode, we celebrate Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves. 19 and 88, they played 1,000 games together. We also give our takes on the NHL potentially expanding the regular season to 84 games, two more than what it's currently at. And ESPN NHL reporter Emily Kaplan joins the podcast to give her perspective on Kane and Taves, the rebuild, and the most contentious topic we discuss, why she refuses to eat bagels in the city of Chicago. We've got a stacked show for you today on the podcast presented by ChevyDriveChicago.com. Drive what Kane and Taves drive. And welcome to the show. I'm Chris Fosters, joined by Kaylee Chelios, Colby Cohen. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy Boxing Day to our Canadian listeners. Uh, what a festive time of year. The Blackhawks, unfortunately, on a bit of a slide right now. Most recently on Sunday night, they lost to the New York Rangers 7-1. to uh, this is independent of that result, but if you watch the game, the Blackhawks were wearing their reverse retro jerseys in that contest, and you can win an autographed Jonathan Taves reverse retro jersey courtesy of ChevyDriveChicago.com. So just visit their website, ChevyDriveChicago.com, to enter Drive What Kane and Taves Drive. All right, Colby, Kaylee, we will talk a little bit more about the Blackhawks' current state of affairs and the Rangers game specifically when we talked to Emily Kaplan a little bit later in the show. Emily was the rinkside reporter down between the benches for that game for the ESPN telecast. Looking at things from a little bit bigger perspective, however, again, it was the 1,000th game together, the 1,000th mutual game for Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves. I mean, it's they're, they're in that portion of their careers right now where it's just milestone after milestone they both have already hit the 1000 game mark individually of course and now they've hit the 1000 game mark together which seems uh honestly poignant in in its own way you know you you start thinking about oh well 1000 games together I don't know you know they already celebrated the individual milestone but no like the more I was thinking about it I was like wow this is this is a really big deal there have only been 11 NHL duos to play 1,000 games together, and here you've got now Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves, the last tandem. So, Kaylee, what are your thoughts on this latest milestone for the magical 19 and 88? Well, I think it's incredible, and I think, um, you know, I grew up in Detroit, but I was in Chicago kind of during their reign, and when the Hawks won three cups in a decade, and Kane and Taze were, you know, around my age, a little bit older, but uh, I just think like what they did for the city, the community, hockey fans, and making Chicago even more of a hockey town than it was before. Because really, everybody that I, you know, knew and and people who had flags out, like they loved the Blackhawks. They always have. It's an original six team, incredible market, but they love the Bulls and they love basketball, you know, all the championships, Michael Jordan. So Kane and Tades at such a young age, you know, took over hockey in Chicago. They grew the sport, they grew the game. So when I think of the two of them still being there now, 
you know, I asked like Brian Campbell when I was in the office, he won the cup with both of them in 2010. And he was just like, I mean, it's rare that two players come in that young and have that kind of success. But like Taze was driving us to win every night at 20 years old at the captain. Like Kane came in, you know, had incredible success. And then, you know, he came back the next summer with biceps. And then he came back the next summer and he was that much better. And he was laughing like, okay, like I'm, I'm ready to go here now. Like these guys are the real deal. And like, I want to win and I have to be better if I want to stay here. And so just hearing somebody like that, who was a veteran, have that kind of response to two young players like that was, was funny and pretty cool. And, you know, eye-opening at just the, the compete that they have between each other and that they've had together and that's won them championships. So thousand games for me, I think is pretty cool being kind of from Chicago and understanding how much they've paved the way for so many before them. And, and Chris, for, for me, you know, not having grown up here, not having grown up around this market, um, you know, we, when we grew up, we didn't have the ability to put on ESPN Plus and watch every other game. We saw whoever the hometown team was playing that night, and then eventually the NHL pay-per-view package came along. Um, but you, there wasn't you, – you didn't have the access to the league that you have now, and I, I grew up – uh, watching an Eastern Conference team, so you'd only see the Blackhawks play twice a year in the Western Conference. Um, and, and so, like, I didn't really know about the struggles that the organization went through as a team in the early OOs, you know? I mean, I knew, oh, this Jeremy Roenick guy, he was this legendary Blackhawk, Chris Chell, like, you knew the names, Amante, but you, you didn't know if you weren't from here about the struggles. And then, you know, I think about the day before – Patrick Kane is drafted into the NHL back in 07 in Columbus. Um, you know, all the draft festivities leading up to it being, you know, Kaner, a group of us having, having played at the U.S. national team and spending a lot of time together leading up to it, all the talk was about Kane going to the Blackhawks and what that meant. They were going to have these two guys, Kane and Taves, and, and you know, Taves, I had seen him – uh, at North Dakota his freshman year because our U18 team played against them. And it was like, wow, this guy is so good, so much better than everybody else. And then Kaner, who I knew, who just destroyed the U.S. program and every record that Phil Kessel had just set before he went top couple picks overall and had already done his one year at Minnesota and gone into the NHL. So for me, like, it's all I know about the Blackhawks, you know, other than some of those big names. And I've obviously gotten to know a lot more since being here in my second year. But, you know, those two guys, they, they belong on, on the duo, you know, the Mount Rushmore duo. I, I, I truly believe that. I think these guys have been incredible uh, here in Chicago. We used to hear rumors uh, uh, playing in other markets about, like Kaylee said, like these guys were the city of Chicago. They were throwing out first pitches at, at Wrigley. They were on the town. They were young guys. They were doing promos. Sharpie tells us about all the stuff that they had to do behind the scenes. So uh, it's, it's an amazing accomplishment um, as, you know, unbelievable and as, as awesome we're not supposed to say unbelievable, but as awesome <laughs> as um, shout out Dave yeah. Miller, uh, but a as great as the individual uh, thousand game markers for each of them, I think them doing it together. Yes, I, and I certainly hope uh, Dave Miller, our 
wonderful talent coach listens to this episode and uh, he'd be very proud of your of your catch there Colby uh to your point though about some of the promotional stuff that that Kane and Taves did you know off ice or even behind the scenes I stumbled across a an old commercial for the NHL video game that had Kane and Taves in the Blackhawks locker room of course wearing full get up jerseys and everything playing each other in NHL you know and even when it comes to video games Patrick Kane was on the cover in 2009 for NHL 10 and then the next year who's on the cover oh of course Jonathan Taves so (laughs) they've always been linked even in unorthodox ways and there was a funny moment in that commercial actually where Taves says playfully to Patrick how come it's always Kane and Taves why can't it be Taves and Kane and uh you know, either either way, however you want to spit it out, definitely it rolls one of off the, the tongue better. It, it's that's 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 true. I suppose it does. But nineteen and eighty-eight, you know, when you give them numerically, you you, you say Taves is number first. But either way, uh, another great milestone for the pair. Cool that they were able to share it together. Not so cool, obviously, the result on the ice from that game, 7-1, to one, the result to the New York Rangers, who had uh, revenge on their mind, I think, after the, the Blackhawks dressed them down, quite frankly, at Madison Square Garden earlier this month. Uh, I don't think the Rangers have actually lost since the Blackhawks beat them 5-2. to two. Um, Either way, they're, the Rangers are hot right now. They took it out on the Blackhawks. And to help us break it all down... Not only the most recent game, but the Blackhawks' state of affairs at this point of the season, 30 games in. We were delighted to be joined by ESPN reporter Emily Kaplan, who covers the NHL primarily. But we've got a great conversation with Emily queued up for you, and we will go there now. Emily, thank you so much for joining us middle of the season like this holiday week. We really appreciate it. You know, life in the NHL, it never stops, especially in season. As an NHL reporter, though, are you able to get home or at least get together with friends and family and and celebrate the holidays at all? So I'm really lucky. Um, I have an insane game broadcast schedule. I've been on the road a ton. Living in Chicago has made it a lot easier because we are the center of the universe, as you all know. Um, But (laughs) I had the Blackhawks game yesterday uh, against the New York Rangers at Sunday, and my next game is not until January 5th, so... I'm teasing out to London and Wales for a week um, and completely uh, decompressing from the sport of hockey. Although in Wales, I was told there's a hockey team in Cardiff. So if I want to scout some future, future, future talent um, or to see a different brand of hockey, I might do that. Wow, that is the ultimate power move. I mean, (laughs) mid-season taking an international trip. Hat. Hats off to you, Emily. That's uh, that's quite a flex. I'm becoming a veteran before everyone's very eyes. This is like something that Kaylee's dad would definitely pull because he knows what's <laughs> up, and I feel like I'm finally earning my stripes. Oh, yeah. I am uh, all about it. I'm definitely going to have to follow up with you at, at some point, maybe like year two or year three for me, like about, you know, just how exactly you finagled this, pulled it off. Like, that's, you uh, that's very spots, impressive. Chris. You got to pick your spots. Exactly. Being young in this business, you're often taught like you got to say yes to everything, and you want to get say yes to everything. Um, but mental health and taking breaks are super important, and it's a super long season. So, um, look, anytime for All Star, we can get away a little bit. I highly recommend. Well, it, it's great to have you on, especially right now, because you've been on the broadcast for the last two Blackhawks games in Chicago. Which we is... greatly appreciate, by the way. <laughs> you're welcome. The night's off. 
<laughs> and uh, look, for Blackhawks fans, uh, well, let's just say goals have been few and far between as of late. You know, a- a- the 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 message to the fan base going into the season was, hey, this is this is a rebuild. So fans, I think, did a great job preparing themselves mentally for what was going to be a season that didn't have a lot of wins, not many points. However, the most recent game you did against the New York Rangers on Sunday night at the United Center, the Blackhawks got shellacked seven to one. You know what? What are you? What are you seeing? Having had an up close and personal view of the Blackhawks over the last couple of games, is this a team that's in a rut? Is this a team that's lacking confidence? I mean, we knew they were going to be bad, but maybe not this bad. So, what's your take on the team right now? You know, you said fans were prepared, and I think the players were prepared, too, because if there's one thing about this front office, specifically under Kyle Davidson, he's been nothing but transparent, and he's been very clear to the players, this is the plan. But even when you know this is what's going to happen, experiencing it is very different, and this is challenging. Um, These guys play with a lot of pride. They have a lot of pride. And being between the benches specifically, so I could see their facial expressions, their body language, what they're looking like when they're coming on and off the ice – Um, I could sense a lot of frustration because the effort was there. Um, In both of these games, I felt like even until the third period when they're out of it, like the guys were playing hard, like Kane, Taze, obviously. But like I look at a guy like Colin Blackwell who's just playing his ass off. And I'm so sorry if you have to leave this, but whatever. We're a Chicago hockey podcast. Hopefully it'll be okay. Um, And I, I really, I felt that sense that these guys want something more and they want to get there and under Luke Richardson you can so tell that they're responding to his message and he's the right coach for them the truth is their talent level right now just isn't enough to compete with a lot of the teams um they're building the right structure and the right processes but if one or two things derail they just don't have that amount of high-end talent that a lot of teams have and that's why you're seeing the results that you have but I would be encouraged in the sense that it doesn't feel like anyone's lost the mission. And even though they're in this losing streak, and even though, again, the results aren't there, like, I think the guys' hearts are still in it, and they still feel really committed to the team. Well, Emily, uh, that kind of makes it even more difficult for Kane and Taze, the position that they're in. I mean, you live here, you know this fan base, you followed their careers from the beginning to now being able to cover their thousandth game together. Uh, what was it like being at ice level, seeing Kane and Taze? Uh, they had that amazing video that played in-game, and you were there front row getting to watch the body language, the reaction. So can you just take us through what that experience was like and then your pulse on the situation with Kane and Taze as they go through this rebuild and what their futures may hold? To be honest, Kelly, it kind of felt hard and awkward. Like When you get <laughs> celebrated like that in-game, it's always an emotional moment. Um, and you want to reward that emotion and you want to see it through. And, you know, they did it early in the first period when the game still wasn't out of hand. And then it completely derailed from there. Um, you know, this was the first game that I had a couple Blackhawks games last year. Like, I'd never seen Kane slam the bench. He was frustrated last night in that game against the, uh, the Rangers. Like, they were just every shift you could just tell they weren't feeling it and they weren't feeling themselves and they wanted to be better. Um, you know, Artemi Panarin obviously is really good friends with Kane from their time here. Um, they're two seasons together and they're goofing off, um, you know, in pregame warm-ups, you know, and it's really cute. And I felt like after every shift, Panarin was coming off the ice and he was like looking to make eye contact with Kane and Kane just like wasn't really having it because he was just in his own world and kind of focusing on what he wanted to do and what he wasn't able to do. You know, this is the lowest shooting percentage of his career. Like he's just not used to having this much struggles and to struggle around him. 
As for their future, you know, I give them a lot of credit because as much noise as there's out there about them and everyone in hockey media has been wanting to talk about them really the last like 24 months, um, they've kept things close to the vest and they're being really patient with it. You know, I'm really, you know, I have a good relationship with their agent, Pat Brisson. I've been checking in with him a lot. And he's like, the Blackhawks front office is giving them utmost respect. You know, they know that they hold the cards here. They're going to move clause, and they're not pressuring them. They're waiting to see what they want to do. They're going to get close to the trade deadline. The expectation is in the early new year, Paprisson or both players are going to come to Kyle Davidson and say which direction they're going to go. Um, if they want to get traded, um, it's going to be challenging because they have the new movement clause, so they can be very selective over which teams they want to go to. Those teams then want to have to want them back. Then they have to find probably a third-party broker to take 50% and then another 50% of the salary because the salary cap, so many teams are up against it right now, and that's challenging to fit in. Um so it's not a necessarily guarantee that both players will get traded. They could, um, and they would get first-round picks, and that'd be great for the rebuild, but it's not necessarily a guarantee. And then the other aspect of it is change is hard. And, you know, both of these players grew up here, literally. Um, there's comfort and structure um, that come with being a Chicago Blackhawk and uprooting your life just to chase this kind of push at the end of the season. Maybe that's not appealing to them. So. I give them a lot of credit because, again, they haven't made a distraction. They've been saying the right things publicly. They're keeping close to their best. And I do really believe that in their mind, they don't quite know how it's going to pan out. But we will find out early in the new year which direction they want to go. Wow. There's a lot to unpack there, Emily. That was amazing. That's why you're here, Emily. (laughs) I mean, there's there's a reason that you're a writer and and also a a TV reporter, analyst. I mean, you you wear a lot of hats. I was asking you about being on um, Around the Horn for ESPN before the interview started. So clearly well-versed in in every which way in, in the sport. And I think some of the things you talk about with, you know, being between the benches is it's it kind of, uh, you know, I kind of smirk a little at it because I'm with you and I see it. And I I actually see it when Matt Barzell's in town, Trevor Zegers is in town. These guys are all looking at Patrick Kane for his approval because they all look at him like the big brother who kind of paved the way for these guys to be successful players. So it, it always makes me laugh to see literally it's like Kaylee we talked a couple episodes ago or you put something on your Instagram about the signs from your dad when you were playing hockey games and the looks you'd get from your dad I can remember living those moments where you'd be looking for your parent in the stands that's what players do with Patrick Kane they look for his approval during hockey games so I'm glad you got to see it last night it is a treat Um, I get to see it all the time I'm lucky and spoiled with it Um, and, and, you know, we talk quite a bit about hockey culture and, and guys' personalities. Um, you know, you get to go and do one-on-ones and see guys sort of behind the scenes for ESPN, which I always think is cool because you get these guys talking about things that they wouldn't normally talk about. Um, but we've seen a little bit of on ice personality between the Rangers and the Blackhawks specifically the last couple of weeks. Athanasiu had something to say. Truba had a response last night, keep the puck, you know, chirping back and forth. Jake McCabe gets involved. So what are you seeing down between the benches with guys starting to really feel like they can step out of this like straight line and show a little bit of their personality, chirp a little, talk a little, you know, like we got to see last night. I think you're so bang on with the young players. And just like a quick story that I feel like ties us all in is one of the guys 
that I'm featuring, and I spent some time with him in Montreal, is Cole Caulfield, one of the great American goal scorers that's coming up in the game. Yeah, sadly, is not on <laughs> Small liberal arts Let's school. Go. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like unreal being in this house. It's like way too much Wisconsin paraphernalia here, but I digress. No, there's no such thing. There's no such thing. And just thing. as a reminder of what a child he is, when I asked him his favorite part of being a professional athlete, his answer was no homework because he's supposed to be a senior at Wisconsin right now. Um, wow. wow. I'm sure he did a lot of homework when he was yeah, in college. Yeah, exactly. Um, but so, you know, I was asking him kind of his welcome to the NHL moment, and he specifically cited when he played against the Blackhawks this year and he was lining up against Kane, and Kane said to him, was like, yo, you're a hell of a player, dude. And he was like, I didn't even know how to respond. Like, that was just, like, unreal for me. <laughs> and think about this kid. He's having so much success in the league. But even he, like, Patrick just set the standard for so many Americans who came up in the game today. And really just so many players. Um, but the personalities of these guys, like, you know, Cole's a good example. I've gotten to know Jack Hughes and Trevor Zegers. And they're kind of like this brat pack in the NHL right now. Um, they're confident. And I think it's something with Gen Z. They just live authentically. They don't really worry about what – yeah, it's true, though, like, they don't really worry about what other people say. Like they're kind of putting themselves out there. And in a lot of ways it's bucking hockey culture because for so long, we don't use the pronoun I it's we or you, and it's all about the team. And these guys are coming in and they're finding success on the ice, but they're doing it in a way where they can still be themselves. And I do think it shows up in these chirps. Um, you know, the, look, the old guys chirps and the old guys are effing hilarious. Um, but these guys are doing it in a way that I think is going a little bit more viral, um, especially in the way they're handling press conferences and to me, that's so good for the game because that's what grows the game, right? Like, that's why we're talking about the NBA and the NFL with these petty dramas. Um, and I kind of want more of that in hockey. Has it, so has it influenced just... you? Sorry, Chris. I was going to ask, has that influenced yourself in some ways, seeing Gen Z's openness and how much people receive that, especially hockey fans, but the way you broadcast podcasts, like everything that you're doing right now, how have they influenced that totally, as well? Totally, Kaylee. Like, I feel like when I show up, like, I just want to be authentic and I'm different than anyone who's ever done it. And typically there hasn't been like a 31 year old woman with my background who looks like me in this role. So I'm going to talk like the way I talk um, to my friends. And sometimes it sounds a little <laughs> silly on air, maybe to some of the older viewers, but like, this is who I am. And I feel like, you know, not to make this all about like this big self-help moment, but like when you pretend to be someone else, no one really responds to that. Relatability is the one thing. Like we all just want connectivity. So I try to show up as myself uh, just in the way they do too. Um, and I also don't try to act like them because they're way cooler than me. And like, dude, I downloaded TikTok. I can't do half of it. Like, I'll leave that to them. <laughs> we are with self-proclaimed bagel snob, Emily Kaplan of ESPN. Get into it, Let's get into it. Now. But here's the thing. Like, you're from, you're from Jersey. I mean – Aren't bagels like a New York thing? Like, no, are, like not just in New York. So they're good in Jersey too, though. I mean, us Midwesterners need to mind our own business. Yeah, yeah. Let me sound off on you for. Go a ahead, Cap. I'll let I'll um, let you handle okay. this one. Firstly, New Jersey. It's the armpit of America. People say it smells because you're right. You do drive through it on the turnpike. It does smell. That's where the refineries are. It's also the Garden State and has a lot to offer. <laughs> it's very close to New York. We have the same water. New York and the water makes the bagels go around. They're delicious. Uh, when I moved to Chicago, I was highly disappointed. I lived in New York beforehand. Um, not one bagel is good. And everyone's like, oh, go try this place. Go try this place. Go try this place. All trash. No, so my no. entire freezer right now, and I'm happy to bring them to United Center. The next time I'm there is bagels that I bring either from New York or New Jersey that are pre-sliced in my freezer, ready to go, because they're the only ones that I find acceptable. 
So, but so no, freezer well, they were fresh, they, and they're like, still it, better. They have but to freeze still, them to I transport mean, them. They're still good, Chris. Trust me, they're still better than anything that you can get here. And when I first moved to Chicago, Emily actually took us out to dinner in Wicker Park, and that's probably the reason we ended up living in this neighborhood area. <laughs> we didn't end up influencer. in exactly Wicker Park, but she she gave us the tour she took us for a couple of you know a couple of meals couple of drinks and we we're like oh this is a cool little neighborhood now once we moved here the first week i was here i was like emily where can i get pizza and where can i get a breakfast sandwich on a real bagel and not something that like someone got out of the grocery store that has like the thomas's logo on it and not been overly successful right emily i mean i'm it's always so complaining um, about this look i've been told to go to the, all of the places bro bagel new york city bagel and Bialy. and i went all the way to skokie to find a good bagel <laughs> no they just don't exist um come to my freezer that's all i gotta say this is my last thing what it what is what is the water then that is it like the hudson river who's to I mean, say chris who is to say we're I've seen some, so, some not nice water there, so I'm curious yeah, where this fancy it, water comes it, from, it, too. It's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's authentic. It's authentically its own New York water. Uh, we're not talking about that dirt, the dirty water. You know, like they have dirty water TV that, that sometimes they show on New England Sports Network. We're, we're, not, we're not talking the Boston water here. This is, this, is, this is like the Philadelphia, South North Jersey, New York area fresh bagels you go to a nice jewish deli or it doesn't even have to be a jewish deli and you can just it just it's the same thing with bread like rolls you want a good you want a hoagie you, you got to go to new jersey new york philadelphia atlantic city I 100% right agree. cap i mean it's the nice to have you on here with italian with delis this. they figure that out like you can get like a nice italian sandwich here um but pizza the issue with pizza it's not like a deep dish first thing crust thing you just can't get pizza by the slice. Like when you live in New York or New Jersey, you can go anywhere and like get a $5 lunch of like two slices anywhere. and a drink and it's great and it's easy and you fold it and it's delicious and greasy and satisfying. And here it's so hard to find pizza by the slice. I just don't understand. Try okay. Art of Pizza on Ashland. Oh, here we go. Yeah. More, From a scone. writing it down. What? Yeah, Cap. I don't know if we can really trust Chris's uh, food recommendations. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, good cheese. You can rest assured. Yeah. Well, Emily, what what does a night out on the town for you look like when you do have an off night? I don't know if you'd rather spend it at home, hanging out, watching a good show. But if you do out in Chicago, your new home, what is a a restaurant, bar? What does the night look um, like for you? I I love my friend community here. I think that's my favorite thing about living in Chicago is that I've just made, like, really cool friends. Um, And we love to go out to eat, um, make reservations at places. We're getting old, so it's, like, dinner and then cocktails. And then let's all sit on each other's couch and have another glass of wine before we go home. That's definitely more of our vibe now. I do love live music, though. I feel like there's really cool venues here in Chicago. Um, and then, yeah, my couch, man. Uh, my couch has seen some good mileage, especially with all the traveling yes. that I do. Uh, sometimes the wine is drank there as well. <laughs> I think we could all second that. <laughs> I think we're, we're, we're probably all riding that train these days, you know, so I think we're, we're aligned on that. Well, I got to ask you about Linda Cohn. I know you guys are tight. Everybody loves Linda. Look, it's tonight would be the second night of Hanukkah, so I think it's appropriate. We've got you on here, Cap, and we're going to talk about Linda as well. You know, one of my favorite sports center people we had 
Um, we had Steve Levy on last week with with Mark and, and Chris Chelios, which is really cool. Um, who did we have? Yeah, we had Kenny guess, Albert guys, on before geez. that, so he's not an ESPNer, but I'm, we're, 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 we're really keeping <laughs> we're the We're going the higher ESPN and higher each week, week That's right. <laughs> but you and Linda had your podcast together this year. You've done some broadcasting together. Uh, you were the one who actually introduced me to her in Chicago a couple years ago. So what's your best Linda Cohn story? Because I just feel like Linda is like a national treasure in the game of hockey, especially having the fact that we just played the Rangers a couple of times. So, so lay it on your best. Firstly, Linda she's Cohn the OG and us. she's the goat. And she came up at a time that was so unforgiving for women. <laughs> and she had to develop such a thick skin because the way I think, and I don't want to speak for you, Kaylee, but I feel very inclusive and I feel like the men around me treat me like a peer and with respect. And it's because of women like Linda um, that that's so. Um, so I give her so much respect. She was holding the fort down for hockey for so many years. But we talk about authenticity and like, I think Gen Z has it. Linda has that Gen Z authentic energy because she shows up as herself wherever <laughs> she is. And so opening night, New York Rangers, uh, we were there for the broadcast team against the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I go down at the end of the game because I always sneak up behind the bench to get onto the bench for the post-game interview. Yeah, I just see someone banging on the glass, like front row. Let's go, Rangers! <laughs> and I look over, I'm like, Linda? <laughs> and sure enough, she had somehow, like, snuck her down, <laughs> fell down to the uh, ice level. As a fan, uh, wearing, like, a flat-brim Rangers hat, probably a jersey or a hat, just being her true Linda Cohn, authentic fan self. And um, that's how I see her in her natural element. She's the best. Well, I love when she's on the broadcast and you just have that thick New York accent that, it, I mean, she can live in LA as much as she wants, but that New York accent will never truly leave Linda Cohn. What a, what an absolute gem of a human being she is. I'm, I'm always a little bit jealous when, when, uh, we don't ever get to like cross over with any ESPN events together because she's, she's just so much fun. And actually, Emily, uh, Colby brought this up about your appearances on Around the Horn. And listen, I'm an ESPN nerd. And, you know, the hour of, of programming. Just where an you ESPN go from, nerd? Well, specifically talking about my ESPN oh, okay. nerddom right now. Okay. Okay. I just wanted some clarification. That's the hour of television where you go from Around the Horn to Pardon the Interruption. I mean, that's like the best hour of sports television <laughs> I think ever created. And... It, so I like of all the things that you've done, Emily, I'm like the most in awe that you're you've been on around the horn. That's like to me such a sign that, oh my gosh, you've made it and it would be like a total it's like a total pipe dream of mine to be on around the horn. So how awesome was it being on around the horn? Yeah, and what, it's what's it like behind show. the scenes? Honestly, like that's the first like piece of I think like true imposter syndrome I had was my first episode I ever did because they asked me to do it and I was so scared at the time and this was like my first regular tv rep so like <laughs> i came up with an excuse of why i couldn't i was like oh i'll be in columbus covering a playoff game like i can't and then they asked me again and the advice i was given is like dude if you turn them down twice like they're just gonna move on so i just had to throw myself in the fire um yeah it's sick i mean like i grew up watching the show and then to like be on especially with jackie mack because to me she was the coolest um and finding out later on that she was one yes. of the people that recommended me and had followed my career, like, that was just surreal. Um, Tony Reale is as energetic as advertised and doesn't drink coffee. It's the most disturbing thing that you'll learn. 
he's inhuman. Um, we're going to throw the word authentic <laughs> around a lot, but he really is. And he truly cares about the show and all of us. And he just has the hugest heart and so much compassion. And his job is just to make us all shine. And he's really empowered me in that way. Um, it's really real in the sense that it's quick, it's fast. People get super competitive. The rivalries are real. Like there are certain people, and I don't want to name names, but like leave the studio pouting because they're upset of the way it went and they feel like unjustly scored. Um, so it's a really fun thing to be a part of. And I think we all got into sports inherently because we love competition. So being able to like actually compete in my job um, around sports, I find to be just a super cool thing. Well, props to you. That is uh, that is freaking awesome, and I, I can't Thank wait you. to see you on Around the Horn again. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was incredible, Emily. I watched you the other day on Around the Horn, and Colby and I do Shark Tank sometimes. That's, like, pre-scripted somewhat, and we're sweating behind the scenes. So I can only imagine actually trying to win points and honestly, some of our ideas. It's hard because I'm so <laughs> focused on hockey, right? Like, that's my number one sport, and – even though ESPN has the rights and it's right. infiltrated to some programming, like I'm really lucky if I get one hockey topic, like maybe in the B blocks. So I'm talking about football, which I cover and I feel really comfortable. A lot of the times NBA, World Cup, baseball. And so like a lot of times I'm like, dude, I'm really speaking out of my ass here. But I think that's why I'm good at it because my takes are like actual takes because they're hot <laughs> takes. They actually don't know. Um, and I think that's my secret to success. They're hot. Well, and I think that uh, one thing people don't realize when you're on live television is the only way to be able to be in any of the seats that we sit in on TV of the of the four of us, really, because, you know, we all have slightly different roles, you know, within a broadcast. But you've got to be prepared in order to be able to quickly respond in a short enough manner where like because there's always a commercial, there's always an advertise, there's always something on the back end. So you got to be quick. And when you're not super up to date on things like when Kaylee was just talking about when we have to go in there and do like games sometimes in our pregame show or like we got to do a shark tank pitch or something like that like I mean literally I'm we are not there. making our <laughs> alma maters proud I'm like sweating <laughs> I've got like the dumbest question I I literally answer like the dumbest answers and I'm just like oh my god I can't can we try that again and they're like no we're live we can't try that again and so it's not easy to just jump into that show. And that's what I'm always shocked about. I'm like, when does Emily have time to know this about the NBA, the MLB, sports pop culture? And I mean, like, I find it hard to keep up with other teams around the NHL because of this little Blackhawks bubble we live in. So I would say props to you. Um, I know that's a big theme of this interview. We're just I know. Where's the you how, how great we all think you are. Um, <laughs> yeah, we just we we yeah, know we'll real. be able to get you back on next time. That that's that's our goal. Yeah, we prop you, you up the and then we'll questions. ask you back on. Yeah, Emily, you exactly. Uh, speaking of hard questions, so to that effect, I mean, you are, and you mentioned Linda Cohn. I think you're one of the the pioneers too, and being authentically yourself. But you've been at ice level. Um, what's a, a moment that's kind of been thrown on you? either between the benches or at rink level, whether it's an interview since getting back into hockey at ice level this year, really cool position to be in. But any fun moments, heated arguments? Um, there's been a few things that I think have gone viral and entertaining this year, but is there it's anything a great that comes question. to mind for you? you? Know, for me, like, firstly, just being at ice level, you have just this appreciation for the skill and the speed and the physicality. 
like, I should never say this as someone whose job is literally to broadcast hockey on TV, but hockey is the best live game experience. Um, you have to be there to really appreciate it. And at that <laughs> point of view and vantage point, like, it's such a privilege to, like, try to convey that. Um, so, like, being part of, like, the Avs playoff run, just watching Kale McCarr, like, that was sick and unreal. And, like, I completely understand why he's an alien and no one else can do this because I can compare it to everybody else. Um, but the chirps for me just always do it. And the guys are just so funny and so quick with it. Um, it just, it cracks me up. But then there's other times where they're just like so silly about it. Um, and you just like kind of remind their kids. And like, I remember like one that comes yeah. to mind, it's like not even that funny, but it was last year, Kirby Doc, and it was Blackhawks versus uh, the New York Islanders and Matt Barzell and Doc are just going at it. And literally, they sound like petulant children. They're like, you're annoying. No, you're annoying. No, look in the mirror. And like, literally, one of the rapper lives when kids, I was like, yo, you guys are both worse than my children. Calm down. Um, and honestly, it just sounded like a comedy routine. And that was just like one that always sticks out. But trust me, I've heard plenty. Um, you know, some that you want to save, uh, you know, to either not embarrass or cause harm to people or maintain some relationships. But some that are just too good not to share. And what the about... accents, right? Like how heavy the the accents come out when you're chirping on the ice. I've never that's heard actually so true. Like, it's like, like a new my friend. I have one friend who's like from Chicago, and every time he drinks, like the more drunk he gets, the more Chicago he sounds. I guess like the more you chirp, the more like you actually sound like where you're from. I, I think there's something there. <laughs> what about really Ben? What about bench interviews? Because. I have to do those sometimes um, when I'm doing the NCAA tournament. And, like, some of those coaches are not fun to jump on the bench and talk to. Like, I know you've had to do torts before. You've had to do gallant. Who Who is your – give us your favorite and least favorite. And, and, listen, you can say why. You know, you can qualify why it is your or isn't because I – I feel like Torts might be your favorite just because he's such a crazy person, but also your least yeah. favorite or most stressful. I, mean, I, like, I don't know. Cooper so so who is it? Last year, and he's like so good at just like making me look good because no matter what I ask, he'll just go off with some insightful answer, and it's great. Honestly, Luke Richardson the other night, like I interviewed Seth in game instead of Luke last game. I was like, why are we doing this? Like Luke was fantastic. Um, although Seth was really great too, and I really enjoyed that interview. Um, Galan is one because I've covered so many New York Rangers games all the way up through the Eastern Conference Final that I've struggled with a bit because um, it's not super natural for him. You can tell like he doesn't quite, you know, get the joy out of it that John Cooper does. You know, John Cooper understands like we're doing this to promote the game. Galan is just so focused on his team. And, you know, one of the more, I think, viewers viewed it as awkward. I thought it was great television was last year. Rangers brink of elimination and he makes a controversial decision, right? He scratches Papo Caco and the kid line that was doing so well, he brought Dryden Hunt in. And so it's me as my job. I'm like, I'm trying to get insight into this game and, and provide the viewer something. So I'm going to ask that. Say, like, coach, can you take us through the decision to scratch Capo Caco, break up the kids and bring in uh, Dryden Hunt? And he just goes, no. And I go, okay. And for everyone else is like, oh my God, he did her dirty, did it. I was like, no, no, no. That was great TV one. Two, even by not right. saying anything, I felt like it told you everything you needed to know, right? Like, it's a super sensitive decision. He didn't want to elaborate. Like, I felt like that interview actually told you something. So he's one that, you know, and now that, you know, we've done this a couple more times. Like, last night, I actually thought he was great. The more specific you can be with him, the better. Um, so we're working on it. We're working on it together. 
Those are stressful interviews to do, though. Like, I, I sometimes see you walking up to get a coach. Obviously, some coaches, like you said. I mean, Luke is so good about the way he answers questions. I, honestly, even for us, when we do our little one-off conversations with him, I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that. Or I, didn't. I mean, you learn from Luke with his answers. He's one of the few coaches, in my opinion, that actually – and I, I'd put John Cooper there, too – where they literally will teach you something if you listen closely. But there's stressful interviews, and there are times where I'm watching you get ready to go talk to Torts or Gallant, and I'm just going, oh, I don't, I, I don't, I feel for her right now because I know that they're going to make this as difficult as possible. Maybe this is what I'm good at. Her. It's like so, I just don't so get stressed. Kudos to you like, for... The other one that everyone thought was so awkward last year in the playoffs was <laughs> I had to go interview Rod Brindamore, and it was right after he pulled Auntie Ronta, and Auntie Ronta's sitting in front of us, and, like, he did it three minutes earlier. If I'm doing my job, you like have to ask, like, just take us through that. And I did. And our camera kind of did us dirty because you see Auntie on the screen and I'm asking about him above it. <laughs> Two things there. One, it's so loud there. Like, Rod can barely hear me. Like, he, you can see, like, he has to lean in. So I knew Auntie couldn't. But B, like, again, I'm doing my job and I think they understood it. And if any, either of them had issues with it, like, I was around Rod so much last year. Like, they would have come up to me the next day and said something. And both of them never addressed it again. Like, they were super chill about it. They understood the professionalism. So, like, yeah, it can be intimidating. But also, like, if you do the prep work, if you show, you know, you're there and you build those relationships, like, typically you'll get something out of it. Emily, this has been a ton of fun. Want to be respectful for your time. So let us get you out on this. Don't want to ask you who you think is going to win the Stanley Cup, but... We're about 30 to 35 games into the season right now. Who's the best the team in the Bruins. NHL that you've I seen? I didn't see it coming. Um, I had a couple of their games early. We have a lot in the yeah. spring. There's just something about them that feels really complete. Um, and they've just got this swag and this mission to them. You can tell they want to win for Bergeron. They love being a team. Um, they've got the skill. They've got the physicality. Um, they've got a couple lines working for them. Um, they're a really good team. Eastern Conference is loaded. Certainly seems like whoever comes out of the out of the East in the Stanley Cup playoffs is going to have the the, the odds-on favorite to win the Stanley Cup. But uh, a lot of season left, and uh, we're certainly looking forward to catching up with you, Emily, down the road, whether it's doing uh, another Blackhawks game or, or somewhere down the road across the NHL landscape. So happy holidays. Thanks so much for doing this once again. And, uh, oh, by the way, pie-eyed pizzeria on the corner of giving me homework to do i thought there was no homework in professional sports just uh um gotta keep that you guys are awesome like you guys hit me up exactly like obviously i live in chicago and so i'll watch your broadcast a lot i think you all do such a great job you bring a different energy you're making all millennials proud um so you guys do great i love your podcast i love what you're doing and i feel really appreciative that i can be part of this well, thank Thanks, you. Yeah, let's go. I can't wait to get your number like, after this. anytime, Kaylee. <laughs> there was a lot that I really liked about that interview. Obviously, Colby and Kaylee. Uh, you know, as kind of broadcasters that are still on the come up in our own careers, respectively. I think the hardest thing to do sometimes is to find your own voice and and trust your own self and personality that 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 will be enough kind of to have the courage to say take it or leave it and I really applauded Emily for sharing that part of her journey with us as well and I mean it uh it totally pays off I mean you get authentic Emily whether you're watching her on TV talking to her on a podcast talking to her in person so that was really cool getting to getting to talk with her
I agree. I think Emily is a rock star. She uh, inspired me after interviewing her. Very cool. Excellent at what she does. Very smart. And I love that she called out Gen Z and players like Caulfield and young people just being authentically themselves and open because it uh, it's definitely changed broadcasts. It's changed the way we create content. And I, I thought she has some great stories. I can't wait to get her back on the podcast, Colby, to maybe break down more bagels after she does her homework on your list, Chris, and then talk about <laughs> some of the things behind the scenes because she sees it all. She's been around it all, not just in the NHL, but across all sports. And it's, it's super cool to get somebody like that, just a very, very uh, creative, smart mind, uh, as open and candid as she is. And, and super relatable, Kaylee. And I think the players, you know, having spoken to some of the guys that she's done her one-on-ones with, you know, she'll fly out to where a player spends their summer and she'll film with them for two days and they'll do some different interviews and they'll talk and they'll spend time together. And I think players really enjoy that with her specifically because she's relatable and she's 31 years old. So she's in the same sort of age category as a lot of these players. You know, maybe some of the younger players obviously make us that are hanging around 30 feel a little bit older these days. But there's a connection point there because there's a lot of similar experiences um, because the age gap is not that big or at sometimes at all. Um, and so I, I think that guys really like when it's her doing the interview. I think guys uh, enjoy when she's the one doing the features. Um, and so I think that guys are a little more open with her and they're willing to talk about things that they probably wouldn't otherwise talk about. So I, I'm, I share, you know, all of those sentiments and, and you know, I, I do appreciate uh, Cap's work quite a bit and, and what she brings to the game. So hopefully everybody enjoyed that, Chris. And um, now we're really going to have to get good guests because she, <laughs> she, she was one of our best guests that we've had for sure. So the pressure is now on to keep, keep climbing the ladder. Yeah, great guest. We're, we're on a heater right now when it comes to guests. <laughs> what, can, what can I say? All right, let's get into sellies and chirps now where each of us bring a local story or relevant topic and ask the group to celebrate it or chirp it, challenge it. I want to stay in the world of hockey for, for this one, everybody, and talk about something that I heard uh, come across my timeline on social media and also saw discussed on TNT's recent national NHL telecast. And that has to do with uh, not just an expanded regular season for the NHL, but perhaps an expanded playoff as well. Uh, Not to lump two issues under one umbrella here, but there has been talk about expanding the NHL regular season from 82 to 84 games, which is, again, a difference of just two. There's also talk of expanding the playoff field to 20 teams, 10 teams from either conference. And and before we get too far ahead of ourselves, you know, it sounds like the the 84 game regular season talk is a little bit farther along than an expanded playoff. It's not like this is something that's going to happen imminently if at all. But the talk of an expanded playoff mirrors that of the NBA's current structure and, and not too many years ago the NBA expanded its playoff field from 16 teams to 20 teams. And what that creates is in either conference, 
a play-in tournament that bridges the end of the regular season and the start of the actual playoffs where you have teams that finish in places 7 through 10 in either conference compete with each other to round out the playoff field. So you have like the you take the bubble teams, frankly the mediocre teams and let them duke it out. I, dis- game I completely disagree with that with that assessment, Chris, because I don't think that the teams that get into the playoffs are mediocre. I, I think that getting into the NHL playoffs, even as an eighth seed, uh, LA won the Stanley Cup years back as an eighth seed. And the the adage now is just get in and hope you don't. Well, it's been just get in and hope you don't have to play Tampa. Um, I don't know if that's like the case anymore or this season, but I I. I don't mean to jump all over you while you're still talking about this, but I, I don't agree with you thinking that with, with that mindset that, you know, those teams that sneak into like the seventh and eighth seeds of the playoffs. Like, I don't think those are mediocre teams. And I think that's why the NHL playoffs is so incredible because for the most part, if you look at the last 10 or 15 years, those teams do make it interesting. We've obviously seen Colorado be out of this world. We've seen Tampa just run through playoffs. But we also saw Tampa, what, four years ago now, is it, Kaylee? Just destroy the regular season and then lose to the eighth seed to Columbus before they went on their run. So I'll let you have the floor back, Chris, because you were doing a, a, a good job of explaining kind of the, the overarching theme of it. But, but I had to interject with a slight disagreement with, with that a little bit. Well, it sounds like you are then celebrating an expanded playoff field. Uh, no, I wouldn't celebrate an expanded playoff field. No, I, I don't at all. Uh, no. I think that I, I, I just think that the, the expanded playoff field is, is 82 games during the regular season. Now, if you want to add two more games because you're going to get more rivalry matchups, okay, like I'm fine with that. I personally don't think the season needs to be any longer having gone through 82 game seasons. Um, it's very challenging, but I also understand that like, we're always looking for ways to grow the game. We're always looking for ways to earn more revenue and that all I'm always open to earning more revenue. I think the name of the game is to grow the sport, grow the business, more revenue trickles down to everybody, including little kids who want to play program, just everything, the foundations, everything, more revenue. Good. But I'm just, I'm not going to celebrate it expanding the playoffs. I'm open to expanding the regular season, Kaylee, but that the playoffs don't, don't, don't mess like eight is enough. It's good. They say it's the best playoffs in all of sports. Let, let's not mess something up that isn't broken. I have to say, first of all, I would need a whiteboard and Chris to sit there and actually <laughs> really teach this whole situation. It's just not clicking off the hop as far as how it would work and which teams. But as far as Colby made the point, too, about mediocrity and, you know, lower-seeded teams, it's not like the NBA where you you know who's going to win that first round or second round. There's a lot more parity in hockey. There's a lot more upsets in hockey. There's no guarantee that the highest seed, and for example, one of the biggest upsets in sports, the Lightning getting swept by Columbus in 2019 certainly can happen. So I don't think any team that makes it into the playoffs is uh, to be overlooked. And, and teams are built different, and that was indicative of – Tampa Bay, certainly, the regular season versus the playoff play and how difficult it is to win a seven-game series 
in a playoff style. So I, I'm going to chirp it in that I, I don't think the season needs to be any longer, but also I need to do so much more homework as far as like revenue goes. I don't know where that's going to go exactly. There's a lot of question marks already with COVID and where revenue is going and players dealing with escrow and all that. And it's kind of, it's not black and white. So I'm going to chirp it in that I don't think the season needs to be any longer. Am I open-minded to a different format of the playoffs potentially so that certain teams don't have to see for example, Toronto seeing Boston in the first round every year and not being it's able to get by. Again this year it's too. probably going to happen again. And Boston, according to Emily Kaplan, is the team to beat. So maybe, maybe Toronto beats Boston, and that makes for an incredible playoffs, and they go on to win the Cup because they made it. That was their Achilles heel. But it does make it really challenging for, for teams who get set up like that in this, this type of setup. So I'll chirp the extension our expansion, and I, I will celebrate maybe just uh, changing the format potentially. I just haven't seen one yet that makes sense to me where I'm, like, confidently excited about that. So I'm going to uh, chirp that, and I'm going to switch to World Cup for my Selly and Chirp. Like a lot of hockey fans that I've listening to and Americans, it's not our sport necessarily, so I don't follow soccer, but – I did watch highlights um, of the game. It looked incredible, and I'm wondering, are you celebrating or chirping people wondering if Messi is above every other athlete? The great one, um, he's in a category of Muhammad Ali or is included in that one and above, for in some people's eyes. And after watching the reaction from soccer fans around the world, the way that game unfolded, I actually am going to celebrate, yes, I do think that Messi is on his own kind of Mount Rushmore in terms of athletes around the world. Um, I, I will, you know, certainly, I, I'm certainly going to celebrate the the career of, of Messi. I mean, certainly, and, and maybe I, I'll uh, kind of, contrast Kaylee's statement by saying that he is one of the the greatest <laughs> footballers of all time um you know there was a cool video that I actually saw on Instagram this was actually from seven years ago now in 2015 but there was uh, a, a meeting between Messi and Alexander Ovechkin in in Washington DC and Ovechkin is monster he he's a monster and he he's like also well, he's also completely starstruck by Messi. Yeah, I want to I mean, be Messi now. <laughs> he, seri like, seriously, here's one of the greatest players in NHL history, uh, even more so now that he's crossed the 800 goal mark. And it, it, it's like a kid meeting his idol, his, his favorite athlete. So that, to me, really distills the star power of a Lionel Messi. However, watch out for this guy on France, Kylian Mbappe. He's yeah. probably going to he he is on track right now to have even a statistically more accomplished career than Messi. He's only 23 years old. He's already won a World Cup. He scored 12 goals in his two World Cups, which is astounding because the all-time World Cup goal mark is 16. Yeah. So he's only four away from tying the all-time record yeah. for World Cup career goals and he and could very one. well yeah. play three more world cup so um you know the what i've learned even in just like a generation of covering sports you know it, it is such a highly evolving 
world. I, I mean, you know, there are great athletes that push the sport to places that it's never been before. And then the next generation comes along and, and nudges that needle even farther. So, you know, Messi, I think his, his legacy is cemented as, as one of the all time greats, but I mean, there's always, there's always the next big thing. And, and uh, this guy from France killing Mbappe seems like a pretty big deal. Yeah. And, and I think the thing about soccer or football, obviously is globally, it's the biggest sport except for in the country that we all live in and that we were all raised in. So, I mean, you see how much these soccer players in Europe and these different leagues make. I mean, there's a reason, you know, they make a week what some of the NHL players make a year, you know, because it's just so big globally. I did watch bits and pieces of the game. It was really exciting, um, you know, because there was a bunch of goals. You don't always get to see goals. I would say this, Kaylee. I think that there's definitely a place on Mount Rushmore for Messi. Definitely. But I just don't think I would feel comfortable putting him in a league of his own above the rest because out of sheer ignorance and really not knowing the ins and outs of his career, the ins and outs of the sport, I don't follow the Premier League. I, re I really don't. I mean, I pay attention to the World Cup every couple of years um, when it flares up. It's been way more exciting even the women's U.S. team has been way more exciting, to be honest, in, in our lifetime. Well, apparently the Internet did not agree with Colby Cohen's take on that silly <laughs> or chirp. We have unfortunately lost Colby. We will uh, endeavor to bring him back, hopefully for next week's episode. But, Kaylee, that was a good uh, topic to bring up. I, I think it's uh, a great conversation to have. Where does Messi belong in the annals of all-time great sports athletes, and especially, you know, from our perspective as North Americans, where soccer or football is not quite in the limelight that it is in Central and South America, in Europe, whatever the case may be, uh, it, it's really interesting to ponder. So, great, uh, great discussion point. It was a good one. I hope I didn't say Messier on accident. I feel like I may have, but that's because we just interviewed Mark and he was in here, in the house for uh, Ovi's 800. I had Messier on the brain, but I hope I get Messi uh, right. <laughs> that's a that's an appropriate mistake to make on a hockey podcast. I actually kind of like that as some kind of odd mashup, like Lionel Messier or uh, yeah, Mark it sounds Messier good or something. Yeah, it does sound good. <laughs> it sounds good. Well, uh, Kaylee, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, enjoy the time with your family. We will be back for future episodes of Blackhawks Insider Podcast. Thank you so much once again for listening. Once again, thank you to our producers, Trevor Bray and Jenna Rose for all of their help behind the scenes. Thanks as always to Brad Dollar and Southside Jake for the music featured on the podcast. Remember fans, more content is always available at blackhawks.com. Enjoy the Christmas and Hanukkah week with your loved ones and friends, and we will talk to you next time.